Are you ready? It's that time! Welcome, ladies, gentlemen, and whoever else is listening. I don't know how civil you are, but this is episode 13 of season 3 of Man, Buns, and Jesus. I'm one of your hosts, uh, Josh Laborious. I'm a pastor out in Eastvale, California. And uh, Ben, I, I hadn't shared this with you, but I was doing some work with the podcast. This is our 80th episode. Oh. We've done entirely too many of these. <laughs> um, and for our 80th episode, we are continuing our series, kind of just looking through 1 Corinthians, seeing what it's got for us. And today we're going to be in 1 Corinthians 14, starting at verse 26, and this is what, what it reads. Um, what then, brothers, when you come together, each one has a hymn, a lesson, a revelation, a tongue, or an interpretation. Let all things be done for building up. If any speak in a tongue, let there only be two or, th- or at most three and each in turn, and let someone interpret. But if there is no one to interpret, let each of them keep silent in church and speak to himself and to God. Let two or three prophets speak, and let others weigh what is said. If a revelation is made to another sitting there, let the first be silent. For you can all prophesy one by one, so that all may learn and all be encouraged. And the spirit of prophets are subject to prophets. For God is not a God of confusion, but of peace. As in all the churches of the saints, the women should keep silent in the churches, for they are not permitted to speak, but should be in submission, as the law also says. If there is anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home, for it is shameful for a woman to speak in church. Or was it from you that the word of God came, or are you the only ones it has reached? If anyone thinks that he is a prophet or spiritual, he should acknowledge that the things I am writing to you are a command of the Lord. If anyone does not recognize this, he is not recognized. So, my brothers, earnestly desire to prophesy, and do not forbid speaking in tongues. But all things should be done decently and in order. Have fun with that, Ben. All right. Thanks, Josh. Um, I don't actually have to take uh, take command on this because we have a... Uh, I want to call him a foremost expert, but he would reject the title because he doesn't like to be called foremost expert on anything. Um, but I'm going to call him a foremost expert on worship because I have seen him in the midst of the same service, lead liturgy, preach, play organ, and a con- and conduct a choir, uh, and and also uh, consecrate the elements for communion. Um, we have with us today the Reverend Dr. Uh, Jimbo Slice Marriott. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> I like all the titles. That's great. Yeah. <laughs> um, he was my choir director at the seminary. Um, I actually didn't have you for class somehow. Right. Yeah. Um, yeah whatever. Um, <laughs> I did have him for class. So there's that. Josh did have him for class. Um, he is now was formerly the director of the music department. Yeah, so uh, I mean, I'll... and is now the director of the theology department. That's right. Yeah, hats. I'm surprised he still has hair left. Um, but we are honored to have him on today to talk with us about worship. And uh, Jim, where does your head go? 
Yeah, thanks guys for the opportunity uh, to be here. Um, it certainly is fun to be able to teach you and uh, uh, be brothers in Christ with you at Concordia Seminary. And I'm thankful to serve at Concordia, Texas now. Um, well, that's right. You were in class with us too. I forgot about well, that yeah, part. <laughs> um, But yeah, uh, now I get to straddle this uh, music department and the theology department and kind of hang with both. And it, it really is a joy and an honor to get to do it. Um, and to speak uh, to our, our churches about worship and what... Uh, um, what the liturgical life looks like for a congregation, how that uh, leads us into our daily life as well. And this text is right, uh, right in the thick of it, isn't it? Um, uh, in many ways, this is one of the most organized uh, statements on public worship that we have in the entire New Testament. You know, a lot of our uh, New Testament worship or, or our understanding of New Testament worship is really pieced together. Um, we see little fragments of it. They didn't write about it because they kind of were just doing it. Um, and it's not till later that we get a lot of historical, you know, looking back on what was happening, um, whether from Didache or Justin Martyr or, you know, different resources like that. But here in 1 Corinthians 14, um, and really uh, in context, looking at 1 Corinthians uh, 10 through 14, and, and you could even look at the whole the whole letter if you wanted to. But putting it in context, you know, uh, uh, Paul's talking quite a bit about the body of Christ here and what it means to be the body of Christ um, and how the community is to uh, live as the body of Christ, uh, to treat each other as the body of Christ. And so that's 1 Corinthians 11, um, where he's talking about uh, uh, socioeconomic issues and the poor being left out in the cold while the rich are eating, uh, you know, a fancy meal. And uh, this is not the Lord's Supper that they that they're celebrating. So uh, and then it, that leads into First uh, Corinthians 12 and this idea of spiritual gifts, uh, 13, love. And here we have orderly worship. So it's amazing this progression that is um, uh, that Paul is building in this letter as he talks to the Corinthians pretty comprehensively about what it is to gather together for Christian worship. So, yeah, I, I think it's a, a fascinating chapter. Um, uh, two things that stick out to me, uh, I mean, I, I, and we can take them in whatever order you want to. Uh, the first is the idea that they're speaking in tongues, um, uh, because a lot of us just have no idea what to do with that. Um, and uh, different 20th and 21st century um, uh, iterations of Christianity have different perspectives on that. I mean, we still have, you know, revivals or charismatic, um, you know, Pente Pentecostal manifestations that are happening even as, you know, just last year, right? Um, uh, uh, this last year. Uh, so that that's a, a big thing through the 20th century, really, that has, has come back in. Uh, and there's a lot of questions about that. What does that mean? What's actually happening there? Um, so uh, here we have it in 1 Corinthians 14, uh, the idea of speaking in tongues and uh, um, and prophesying in particular ways. And then the other one that is always just the kind of the social hot button is, uh, you know, Paul's explicit command. Uh, women should be silent in the church. Um, so we can talk about that if you want to as well. Um, uh, I'm happy to. Yeah. Uh, happy probably to, should at some point. Yeah, happy, the... happy to put anybody watching this at ease, you know, uh, how we can be faithful to Scripture um, and also uh, can uh, honor each other as the body of Christ in a way that's building one another up. Um, so, yeah, where do you where do you guys want to go? What sticks out to you in the passage? Um, I, I 
as weird as this might be, because I, you know, am a glutton for punishment. So you think <laughs> I want to talk about uh, the role of women in worship. What really hit me is that first thing you were talking about, the speaking in tongues. And also, because he, he kind of caches it, there's the speaking in tongues, the prophecy, and the revelation. And I think in the way that we usually think about those three things, we don't see them very much, right? Like when, when we think of prophecy as you are forecasting, we're like, we, eh, when we do see that, there's a lot of skepticism. And I think justifiably so. I think we did an episode on that a while back. Um, revelation, when we think, you know, God is whispering in your ear or whatever, it's like, uh, again, if someone comes into church saying, I have a revelation, it's like, um, do we need to take you to a doctor, right? Um, and then the speaking in tongues, for the longest time, I just thought that meant, oh, you speak different languages. But uh, so with all of these things, how do, Paul says, you know, these are important parts of worship, important enough to mention. What do we do when we don't have them or don't see them? Yeah. Yeah, that's great. Uh, and I think the overall point of what so, I mean, the overall point of what Paul's getting at is the orderly organization of the worshiping community how this worship community come together and act as the body of christ and again so you got to take first corinthians 14 with something like first corinthians 11 like how is the body of christ treating one another how are we um engaged with one another as the people of god so uh something like uh speaking in tongues which was happening in that day um the idea of True prophecy. I mean, if you read the book of Acts, I've just been rereading the book of Acts uh, during this season of Easter. That's what the church does in the lectionary. And uh, amazing to see like the the prophetic um, uh, manifestations that were happening in the book of Acts. I mean, this is real. I mean, if we take Acts seriously, which I do, uh, this is actually happening. Um, the speaking in tongues is actually happening. And um Divine revelation is happening uh, uh, at the very least to the apostles. So uh, uh, this is happening. Um, God is speaking through these various ways. The Spirit is moving through these ways. And what Paul is trying to do here is to say to the church, like, um, you can't all come together and just go crazy. Um, everybody's got a hymn. Everybody's got an interpretation. Everybody's got something to say. Um, everything must be done for the building up of the church so that individualistically we don't look to um, kind of carry our own agenda. Actually, we look to how all things are nurtured together as the body of Christ when we come together as a body. So he's distinguishing individualistic expressions of um, worship, praise, prophecy, uh, community building, uh, uh, proclamation. Uh, he's just distinguishing those individual aspects from what actually happens in the corporate body, the, the, the community that comes together. Does that make sense? Uh, like, um, and that's the takeaway for us, I think, um, is to, to keep it because we. You're right, Josh. We don't have um, uh, speaking in tongues now, or um, we have a different way of understanding. Uh, revelation, because, you know, uh, uh, divine revelation comes through the word by the power of the Holy Spirit working faith in the heart. So the pastor preaching the word of God, um, but the pastor is not preaching something that's outside of 
the word. Um, uh, he's speaking the word of God. And that's probably a different podcast um, to, to unpack all of that. But we, we, we do have um, a framework where um, uh, God is speaking. Um, and yet that speaking is not unique. Well, unique is probably the wrong word. Um, it's not uh, revelatory in the way that it was in the New Testament. Let's say it that way. Um, or unique in the way that it was in the, in the New Testament. But it is profound and it is life-giving and it um, is active in the same way that it was in the New Testament. So we have the same proclamation of the word. This is why the pastor declares the forgiveness of sins um, and preaches life and salvation. The community organizes itself around those promises of God and then goes forth Monday through Saturday to deliver those promises, that very promise of God to um, uh, their friends and neighbors and family and everyone who they come in contact with. This is what it is to be the church. When we come together, um, uh, we usually now have one person speak, maybe a couple, depending on your church and your church context. Um, but one person, uh, with an interpretation, you know, like, uh, 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 expounding on the scriptures. Uh, and then, uh, whereas here they have multiple people speaking. Um, uh, so in many ways that the, the principle of the matter is the same, even if the, the specifics are a little different, what was happening in Corinth versus what's happening in our churches today. Is that parallel? I mean, does that help? Does that make any yeah. sense? Yeah. Well, and what comes when when you're speaking through this, um, what comes to mind for me is almost a curiosity if we have, in a manner of speaking, overcorrected. In that, um, so the issue Paul is dealing with is kind of it's chaos because everyone is putting their stuff out there. And it's not being done for the building up of everyone involved. But I think on the flip with side, that, just to, to add to it, and with that, it really seems to be the the speaking of tongues is the problem. Like speaking without interpretation, um, to, it seems to be the the really specific issue there. So keep right. going. So you have this uh, kind of an oversimplification, maybe, but a hey, look at me, look at how spiritual I am, and it's chaos. But I think on the flip side, what you see today is we see there is the one person speaking and the one person up front. However, that, that underlying issue of, hey, look at me, I think can still manifest. And while it's not necessarily chaos, I think that the church today, we've gotten in a lot of trouble because that one person can be elevated beyond. And the church, which is to, you know, the mission is to be discipling people. And instead the mission becomes this person wants to become a rock star or a celebrity or a like you're you're elevating this person higher than they should be because they're they're being put up front and i don't think especially well how do i in every lcms church i have ever been a part of this is not an issue the pastor is not anywhere close to being a celebrity um but this is something you, of their see, own you see in the news a fair bit um and I think it is a danger, and I I wonder if part of it is kind of this overcorrection of we're just going to have kind of one person, we're going to have this well-organized, ordered thing, but then you run the risk of that one person getting inflated beyond where they should be. It's our, it's our historic German sensibilities. 
the uh, the desire for everything to be just so. Um, I I actually want to push back on your thought that like LCMS pastors don't have the desire to become celebrity. I didn't because, say that. No, no. Here's the I thing. I said that they weren't getting there. That's that's <laughs> also fair. But Not I'll push back on I'll push back on that ask. notion though, because I think too often, kind of regardless of the church or the denomination, like pastors become some sort of local celebrity whether people consciously do that or not any situation where you have one person that is the vote the, the voice in the congregation in terms of the way that the word of god is proclaimed the way that the word of god is interpreted like there's way too much temptation to make that one person the center of your church and Something that I've, I literally had a conversation about this yesterday during my Bible study. I've been doing um, a Bible study where we look at some of the, the scripture behind uh, some of the stuff we sing in, in worship, um, our hymns, pieces of the liturgy, yada, yada, yada. Um, and somehow at the end of the uh, Bible study, somebody asked me, uh, you know who you are if you listen to this, by the way. Somebody asked me, um, you know, why don't we chant here? And I mean, my big answer is like, it's, it's not that I'm not a terror, like, it's not that I'm a terrible singer or anything. I think Jim would vouch for that. Um, but that's my excuse. <laughs> you can't, I'm tone deaf. You don't want that. But like, the biggest reason that chanting, or there were two big reasons that chanting kind of came into being one, it helped you memorize what you were saying because. Anytime you put something in music, it, it makes it more memorable. And two, so you can project because it's easier for a voice that's singing to carry sound over a long distance, like those giant medieval chapels you see in Europe. Um, I have a sanctuary that seats 250 very uncomfortably. Um, the distance from the, the altar area to the back wall is maybe 40 feet. Um, and we have pretty good modern amplification. And even if I didn't have that, I could preach just fine and everybody could hear me. I could lead the liturgy just fine and anybody could hear me. And the majority of the way that we've written our chanted liturgy, at least in, in the Lutheran Church Missouri Synod, um, if you're not familiar with medieval chanting or choral music, you probably can't do it very effectively. Like, it's just not necessarily sounds that are, are common to our ears. So, like, it makes people uncomfortable to come into that kind of setting and, and try and do that for the first time. And to me, at least, as we try and build discipleship, we're, we're trying to kind of lower the barrier to entry to, to have access to understanding what we're doing so that we can get more quickly to the building up part. Um, and how was I relating this back to the fact that I think LCMS pastors become local uh, celebrities? I had, a, I had a connection. I had a connection at some point. Where did it go? Um, I got nothing for you. My... <laughs> well, I mean, they're, it's a valid point. I don't disagree with yeah. you. I don't know how they're connected, but you know. 
maybe you know if you're suggesting that in making some of those decisions the pastor is acting in the pastor's own interest rather than the interest of the community and what's best for the community and for the building up of the community um or if the community is advocating something right, that I see this too that is not the pastor's strength like chanting um and but they they want chanting but it's not the pastor's strength um uh you know how do you navigate that is that the best for the building up of the church or not um i suppose just on that issue one thing that i would suggest is that anything can work within reason um let's just caveat everything here but um, <laughs> your little asterisk up there yeah, just about anything can work it depends on what is good for the building up of the community uh, I've been taking a lot of time uh, teaching on this when it comes to the prayer of the church. So not to introduce a new paradigm, you know, chanting, we could talk about that too. But oh, well, we, we like chaos on this podcast, so keep keep throwing it on the fire. Despite yeah, but, what Paul is saying in this letter. Yeah, <laughs> yeah two or three voices and no interpretation. This is so committing <laughs> all of uh, all of First Corinthians uh, 14 sins here. So. Well, <laughs> The idea of the prayer of the church, uh, if you think of it, um, uh, how we often practice it in our churches, uh, it often is the voice of the pastor speaking the prayer. And liturgically, actually, that makes a lot of sense because um, the pastor uh, gathers, that collects the prayers of the church and the prayers of the wider church. This is what the prayer of the church is doing. And we pray for the world. We're praying for the sake of the world. We're making intercession for the world. This is First Timothy. Uh, so the pastor lifts up um, voice to give those prayers. And the community gives their assent to the prayer by the refrain, Lord, in your mercy, hear our prayer. Uh, so liturgically, it works quite nicely, actually, um, for the pastor to do that, as long as the community remembers that they have called the pastor to do that, um, that that it's the community that calls the pastor. The pastor doesn't create the church. It's really not even the pastor's church. Um, uh, the community calls the pastor to be the pastor. Uh, that's where the call comes from. So the community then is making assent to the pastor's prayer. So I, I like the model, especially when people understand it. Ritually, though, it doesn't come across that way. It comes across as if the pastor, after talking at you for 20 to 25 to 30 minutes in the form of the sermon, is now talking at you or hopefully to God, um, uh, you know, a few more minutes, maybe five or 10 sometimes uh, in the form of the prayer of the church. And orally, it's very difficult for our sensibilities to, um, uh, to stay at attention. You know, uh, we are people that are used to, well, used to be, like when I was young, um, you'd be used to commercial breaks where, you know, your attention could last, you know, a, a, a 13 minute, you know, TV segment. Now, now it's much, much less, right? Um, just a few minutes and then people uh, uh, lose attention. I just think of how I do things on my phone. I mean, anybody who's still listening to this now, uh, like, are you... How many times have you gotten distracted and, and lost attention? So we have to think about what's building up the church. Um, uh, hold on, hold on. Yeah. I just I did a quick Google search on what the average attention span is right now. Um, 
8.25 seconds. Oh, wow. Yeah. That... And it's decreased dramatic. We have shorter attention spans than goldfish now. <laughs> that's embarrassing. I I think that's part of why uh, the NCAA is getting rid of the, the stop clock after first downs in, in football. Sure. Yeah. Because games got to be shorter. People's attention spans aren't that high anymore. That's right. Yeah. So, um, so this is to the to this problem. You know, how do we engage people in uh, the active the liturgical activities of the church so that everything can be done for building up? So, you know, how might we rethink the prayers of the church where um, the congregation is more involved? Uh, either you know, uh, praying the petitions themselves. Mm -hmm. Or uh, uh, doing a longer sung refrain. I've used the Tzai chorus, "Oh Lord, hear my prayer," um, uh, as a back and forth between the petitions. It ha just helps keep the congregation involved more. Uh, how do how do we do that? So we teach people to pray. Um, uh, it's the same thing that's going on. It's not the same, but it's a similar in principle to what's going on in First Corinthians fourteen. How do we build up the body of Christ through our acts of corporate worship? I will offer a uh, a solution to like the prayer engagement that uh, kind of worked and then catastrophically failed. Because <laughs> what I would do for the long, because at Edgewater, I have a lot of flexibility with how we structure our services. So we would cycle through a couple different kinds of prayer. One one week a month, we would do kind of the prayer you're talking about. Um, another one would just be a kind of an extemporaneous prayer. Uh, one one week a month, we do silent prayer. And we just take a couple minutes uh, to pray. How effective that is, I don't know. Like, I don't know if you're thinking about the game or actually praying, but, you know, the opportunity is there. But what we did for a long time is I would introduce different, uh, kind of different categories of prayer. I'd say, you know, now... Uh, I invite you to pray for the people in your life who are suffering from illness or sickness or chronic, whatever. And then people would circle up in their family groups or the people around them and pray as a group. And I say it, it worked for a while because I did have people come up to me who said, I wasn't really comfortable praying uh, in any sort of out loud public situation, but now I, I can do it. Um, but then I also found out that I had, members who would skip that Sunday because the pr that prayer made them feel so uncomfortable. Um, so we don't do it anymore because obviously if we're, if people are not coming because it makes them so uncomfortable, that is, we shouldn't be doing that. Um, but it, it kind of worked for a few people. Anyway. Well, right. This is, I mean, this is to Paul's, you know, Paul's dilemma here because um, for the people that were speaking in tongues, corporate worship was going great. But for the people that weren't or couldn't interpret or didn't know what was going on, the corporate worship was not corporate. Um, so, uh, yeah, how do we balance all of those things? And Josh, to your example, how do we do that while also acknowledging that some things are going to work for some and not for others? Um, it's it's very tricky to be um, uh, as culturally inclusive as we can, uh, whether it's uh, in song selection or ritual practice. Uh, hospitality practices, um, you know, how, all of this. How do we, how do we uh, 
truly treat each other as the body of Christ and not single people out. Um, yeah, what what does the pastor wear? What does that mean? Um, does that does that feed this kind of narcissistic tendency that y'all named earlier, or does that reflect the call and the call of the pastor to you know to shepherd the the congregation, to, to be the person that uh, give offers forgiveness of sins, life, and salvation in the name of Jesus and by Jesus's authority? Um, now these are the these are the things that are at stake here. Um, and this is what, what Paul's trying to get at, that everything is done for the building up of the church. As much as I want to offer a couple more things here, and I'm going to because I can't stop myself, we should probably talk about the uh, the whole uh, women are not permitted to speak in church thing at some point here. Um, but a uh, couple of thoughts that I had slash remembered. Um, the connection I had back to chanting during that conversation, it came up that like my the members of my Bible study were typically pretty happy with how I've been leading worship, and especially with my preaching. One of them made the comment, "It's kind of the focal point of what we do in worship," and I was like, "No, no, no! You come to receive from God what you've been given," mm -hmm. and it made me like want to not preach on Sunday every Sunday. Because, I don't know, I don't want to be a celebrity. Um, and like. Yeah, but it's not about you. You know what I mean? Like, yeah, exactly. You are, you are there um, fulfilling the call that the church, um, local and now, you know, uh, communal, uh, uh, has put on your life uh, to be the person that, um, proclaims that. So there's nothing special about you, Ben. I mean, you're a great guy and all, but <laughs> it's not about you. I agree it's, wholeheartedly. There you go. <laughs> but, but Thanks, Josh. I had this conversation actually with, uh, I'll, I'll call him a friend soon to be up here. He's, he's a first year at the seminary. I'm really bummed that you didn't get to cross paths with him, Jim, because I think you guys would have gotten along really well. But we were driving out to Best Practices, which is about a five-hour car ride. We were just, uh, we were driving, we were talking, and this came up. And I told him, I was like, I don't think pastors should even approach celebrity status, right? They need to disciple their congregation to view them in the right way and also to embody a humility. And his response in, in kind of what Ben is talking, I don't know why I'm pointing up. I don't know where you're going to end up on the recording. Um, <laughs> but his comment was, but what if you're just that good? And like, hmm. I think that is like Dr. Schmidt at the seminary. The reality is he preaches and he's just that good, right? Where there, he could probably gather a huge congregation together just because he was the one preaching. Um, and I had to, I was like, well, cause you don't want to be less competent. Right. You don't you don't want to sacrifice because if you're proclaiming the world word well, you should continue to do that. And I, what I finally told him was like, I think if, if you're reaching that situation and you can't avoid it, you need to move on. Right. Like you need to take a call in a different context where you're not leading people into that kind of version, maybe of idolatry that this might be too strong a word, but of idolatry where they're looking to you when they should be looking to God. So, yeah, and all of those things are really, really, really tricky to navigate. I mean, I, I struggle with this on the music side 
um, uh, because I, I played the organ particularly well. Um, and Can't confirm. And people appreciate it. Um, and spooky uh, bowser mighty fortress yeah right and so i'll do uh hip interpretations you know i don't just play what's on the page i really play um music into the hymns uh, uh alternate harmonizations uh hymn interpretations text interpretations uh big introductions things like that um and it is most definitely performative i you can't get around that so the the um and yet who am i performing for and to what end uh, I'm not performing for me and for my glory or glorification uh, so that people would pay attention to me and think that I'm a good organist. Dave Schmidt, at this, I, I won't speak for him, but a guy like Dave Schmidt as a preacher, he's not preaching um, uh, epic sermons so that you think that he's epic. Like he doesn't care. He he really doesn't. Um, he wants to proclaim the gospel. He wants, and I, I, I said to him since we're talking about him said to him once man i just love that sermon he's like just what did you like about it you know um and it was awesome just to get that back and to talk through with him rhetorically what he had done because then it was not oh i just you know i adore you dave schmidt you're, you're the best you know uh you know preacher ever uh it was more i got to talk to him about the mechanics of it uh same thing with me playing the the, the organ but the, the i guess the the wider point is that all of us use our gifts in different ways. Um, uh, my goodness, the person that brings uh, cookies and makes coffee on Sunday morning, I hope that they're just incredible at it. Um, I hope that they're the best baker that you have in your congregation. Um, I, I hope that the people that greet and are your greeters on Sunday morning are your absolutely most friendly, most hospitable people. And I, I have a daughter that is that person, you know, this, that's her gift. She's incredible at it. So what if we were all using our gifts, you know, to the max for God's glory? This is, again, everything being done to build up the body. Uh, so it's not about, you know, selfishness or any kind of narcissistic tendencies or self-centered, egocentric, you know, practice. Really about the church, you know, being built up. But it does not mean that the pastor needs to, you know, um, uh, be meek or unnecessarily meek or unnaturally meek in how they're using their gifts. Uh, we do this together. So I think I would transition this. Um, this is going to be bad. I can tell, <laughs> I can tell right now. Well, no. So it's going to be a dad joke of a transition, isn't it? No, it's not that bad. I promise. Um, so one of, I think the big thing about as a pastor about preaching and about not wanting to be the focal point of attention um is i mean precisely that not wanting to be the focal point of attention um i'm kind of of a mind that like the only reason as a pastor that i should be known outside of my congregation or maybe the congregate like we had a rotation for for lent where we visited five churches for our midweek services so some of the people at our other churches in the area have heard me preach um like the only reason I want to be known outside of that circle is if I'm in some sort of position of authority within our church hierarchy, like where people have to know my name because if there's trouble at their church, they need to know who they need to go to. Um, and if my fame or whatever rises above that, I probably should reconsider where I'm at. Um, but I think 
that's honestly kind of similar to what Paul's getting at as he begins his prohibition on women um, is like this whole idea of not making oneself the focal point um, because we have this order of creation thing going on because we have this idea of all of us being in submission to God and then God having created an order under that um, that people are trying to figure out how to live into. And then we try to figure out how to incorporate the whole worship context into that order. Paul's just trying to give a little direction here. At least that's what I'm seeing. Um, but Jim, you got, uh, you got more wor words of wisdom for us on how this plays out. Sure. Um, yeah, I, I think you're on the right track there, Ben. Um, and I, I appreciate that perspective on it. Um, because I do think um, an aspect of all of this is vocationally, how can we each use our gifts and what does it mean for the body of Christ to be built up? So that's that's um, uh, a way to put good construction on this conversation. Uh, a couple of other things that I have found in my study of this text and especially of, of those verses. Um, that it's important to keep everything in context, right? Um, uh, we must treat a, a large portion of First Corinthians contextually and then also apply the principles to our context today. Um, so this is, again, back to First Corinthians 11. Um, there are uh, you know, Paul talks about head coverings and long hair and things like that. And um, y'all with man buns, you know, uh, uh, you know, you would be um, out of bounds uh, culturally from First Corinthians 11. Right. Yes. Thank you for the voice. If you if you've stopped watching this, boy, you should you should find a way to watch again. Because uh, <laughs> Ben that. looks like. He's in a rock band where they all wear all black clothes in high school. Yeah, there you go. But uh, uh, you are out of bounds, both of you, um, especially Ben now, uh, in terms of 1 Corinthians 11. Like, uh, so uh, is that culturally conditioned or is that, uh, you know, the inspired word of God? Well, how do you decide? Right. And so and different Christians um, uh, put different perspectives on that. Some. Uh, take 1 Corinthians 11 much more legalistically and literally. Others read in a contextual interpretation of it. So if, if we were thinking through some of the similar contextual applications of 1 Corinthians 14, especially this verse on women, um, the one thing that I would point out right away is that it was unique in Paul's day for women to be part of um, the worshiping communities at all. Uh, 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 mostly in, uh, at least in my understanding, uh, it was the men who went to, you know, synagogue worship um, and the men and the boys who studied scripture. So the very fact that now in, in Christianity, you have women that are playing such a prominent role and are being in, included in the community's worship is, is really quite profound. Um uh, so that's one one thing, and then it would be very natural then for um, uh, women, both uh, both um, those of Jewish descent, but that really is probably not exactly the case um, here in um, Corinth. It's probably more um, uh, non-Jewish believers uh, who have converted. It, it's hard to say, but uh, probably. Uh, 
so if you if you have that, then from a cultural perspective, um, you know, how are the women engaging there, and and how would that have worked with their engagement of worship of other gods before they became Christian? Uh, how are they asking questions of their of their husbands? Um, what are they saying? What are they saying in the community? Um, all of that factors into what we do with these verses and how we navigate that. Um, so uh, this is a, you know, it's kind of a bad look for Paul, uh, especially in our 21st century context here. That he comes across like he's, um, um, you know, pretty chauvinistic here. And I, 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 I certainly don't think that's his intention. Um, I think everything is being done for the building of the church. And Paul is looking to build up the church in his time. Uh, with helpful rules and regulations that speak to the context that they're in. Most certainly, I don't know about y'all's churches, but every church that I, I've attended uh, recently, uh, women have a prominent role uh, and a welcome vocal role uh, in the service. So um, uh, I see uh, women as, uh, you know, uh, DCE women doing children's messages pretty frequently. Um, I uh, many of the congregations that I um, visit that use lay readers uh, uh, that include women as the lay readers. Um, that's an interesting thing. And just a, a, a small thing on that. Uh, the The question is whether you should use lay readers or not, um, at least from my research on it, not whether women should be lay readers. Uh, and this is an interesting thing. So this, again, would be a misappropriation of 1 Corinthians 14 in many ways. Um, if you're going to use lay readers, but then say, well, women should be silent in the church. So um, uh, we're not going to let women read uh, 1 Corinthians 14. I, just, I think it's a bad read on what 1 Corinthians 14 is about. Um, if you're going to use lay readers, then you should be probably should be inclusive of uh, uh, who's reading, but maybe you decide that only the pastors are going to read, or if you have multiple pastors at your church, that the pastors are going to be the ones that are leading the divine service, and then they are the ones doing all of the public speaking um, uh, in those ways. So uh, again, I, I, it's not for me to uh, uh, mandate or even you know suggest a preferred practice as much as I, I'm just trying to speak to the things that I see in our church body um, and the, the things that I see in the churches that I attend as well. But none of us, as I guess my point, none of us are practicing church in a way where women are silent. Uh, we're just, we're not doing that in, in, anymore. No, you know, uh, any more than what we're, the church is condemning y'all for having man buns. Um, well, you'd be surprised on that. Well, maybe you wouldn't, but yeah. uh, I um, might condemn you for having a man bun, but uh, yeah, no. <laughs> understand. I had, I had a woman uh, come up to me the very first Sunday I was at at my current church, uh, grab my ponytail at the time, and go, "Well, this is interesting." Um, I won't name names, but that doesn't surprise me at all. <laughs> I got told the first Sunday that I was overdressed and that I should wear Batman t-shirts. Nice. I don't. I I don't do that. But anyway, um, I have a couple of things if you don't mind, Josh. I guess. Okay. Cool. I don't care. Yeah. So, so um, 
Oh, shoot. What was my first thing? Uh, second thing, while I'm thinking about it, a couple of cultural things. I just want to bounce off of you because, like... Ben needs Prevagen, guys. No, I, I need to, like, actually do something about the fact that I'm pretty sure I've undiagnosed ADHD. Um, real talk. Mm-hmm. Uh, couple of cultural things that I, I want to bounce off of you, Jim, and just see where you stand on these things. Because, one, you mentioned there's the the prescription for head coverings just like a chapter and a half earlier um and my understanding on that is it was a way for the women of the the community to kind of separate themselves from um the the broader community and especially from um the temple prostitutes of the city of corinth um like if you were wearing a head covering you were about as as conservatively dressed as you possibly could be, there was no way you could be misidentified as uh, a temple prostitute. Um, and I wonder how much, if any, there, like you've seen historic um, research pointing to maybe this being a, a furthering of that where um, these women were given such a prominent role in the the worship of the temple of Corinth that the church wanted to separate itself. Um, Cause I feel like I've seen that in a couple of places, but I don't, I don't know how much stock to put in that. The one that like, I think there's definitely more to be more stock to be put in though. You mentioned how it was the men and boys that did the majority of the learning um in that in that time and in that society especially amongst the jewish culture um so the women would have been coming into this context being in worship being active in worship for pretty much the first time in their lifetime it would be you know shocking if they didn't have questions about what's going on in the midst of the worship service in the midst of uh this prophecy and proclamation um and so paul is just like Guys, if everybody's trying to figure out exactly what's going on in the service, it's just going to be a cacophony of noise. We need to, like, hold your questions, figure this out at home. Like, right now, we need to focus on what we need to focus on. Yeah, I think there's a lot, um, uh, especially to that second part. I've never heard um, that first thing that you mentioned, but I, I have not done you know, all of the research in the world on this particular text. So um, I have to look for some sources on that and uh, uh, and see what kind of correlations are there between, uh, uh, yeah, Corinthian temple prostitutes and uh, <laughs> Christian worship. Yeah, you know, be, care- be really careful how you, uh, how you word that particular search. Yeah, no, exactly. Yeah. <laughs> um, I'll be careful, you know, who knows what will pop up on my Facebook ads. If you're... If you're curious about this, keep showing up or keep checking the show notes over the next like couple of months. And if we get an update from Jim, we'll, we'll add it. Um, <laughs> well, something that, that you're bringing up, Ben, is I think it, it is worth looking. And I, I believe this to be true with, with most of the commands in the Old Testament is why is the command there? Right? Because there are some commands that are out there that it's just, X, Y, or Z is wrong. You shouldn't be doing it. And like, there's no deeper motivation to like, we're trying to avoid something that it causes, right? Or like, there's there's not a lot deeper to look, right? Like, uh, one that comes to mind is homosexuality, right? It, 
the New Testament is just like, this is wrong, period. It's not some cultural thing. But when you come to this, the way Paul puts it in this argument makes me wonder, why is he doing this? Mm-hmm. Why is this being written? And just a couple, as I was looking at it, and especially with how it's phrased um, in verse, what is it? 35. It says, if there's anything they desire to learn, let them ask their husbands at home. And kind of that elaboration makes me wonder, well, is is one of the reasons he's asking this is really kind of a subtle challenge to husbands. You need to be discipling your family better. Like they shouldn't have to ask questions here because you should be discipling them at home. Uh, and that kind of like that pushed me down the spiral of um, is it pushing husbands not to be like I'm just picturing like. This guy who doesn't really want to be in church sitting there napping while his wife is asking all the questions. And is it pushing that husband to step up in his role? But then there's also what you brought up of like for a lot of these ladies, this could be the first time they're in church or in any sort of religious setting like this. They're going to have a lot of questions. And not that there's anything. Well, no, I, I don't believe that there's no such thing as a stupid question. But a lot of them are going to be very basic questions they're asking. So is this Paul trying to say, hey, get caught up at home. So we're not rehashing the same, like, basic three things every every time we meet. Um, and then also part of this that comes up is, should it be a reflection of the home? And And you kind of have, and you mentioned this earlier with order of creation of, the home's discipleship in a perfect world, not saying we live in that world, but in a perfect world, should be driven by the father, by the husband. Is Paul having an issue with the guys aren't doing their job? So I hear this, I read this, and I might be taking this completely out of context, but the more I'm looking at these three verses, these two verses, I'm like, is Paul just kind of subtly calling out the men in this congregation for not doing their job? There's my rabbit hole. I, I reached the bottom of my notes. So, Yeah, no, I, I, I think that, you know, that is the question, Josh, is what is actually going on in the background of, you know, for Paul to be writing this. And, and uh, so I, I think that it very well could be um, uh, admonition to families and, and, you know, to the right ordering of things um, uh, for family and church life. How does that how does that come together and where are the proper places to ask questions and to engage? Um, I, I do think that this, you know, in the, you know, present day application of this text, we just have to be very careful not to use it um, uh, to, you know, as a weapon or as any kind of um, demeaning of women at all. Um, because uh, that would go exactly opposite to the spirit of what tr- Paul's trying to do in this chapter, which is to build up the church. So if we use scripture to dehumanize part of the body of Christ, we're actually committing the sin of 1 Corinthians 12, where you're cutting off a part and saying, I don't need you. Um, so we just have to be very, very careful how we use this text and, and how we apply it. Um, and I think the wider context of First Corinthians helps us to to know how to do that as the body of Christ, um, especially in our present day cultural context. 
So, I mean, and not that culture drives everything, you know, I, we, this is the, y'all know me well enough, you know, my teachings on enculturation, that uh, culture and theology live, you know, they are integrated always. So culture is always uh, influencing theology and theology is always influencing culture. Um, not always for the good um, on either of those. So we just have to be real um, aware of how that interaction's happening, what's happening in First Corinthians, um, you know, as well as we can tell, and what's happening in our churches today. How do we do everything for the building up of the church? I remembered my first point, and I think it builds on this, so this is good. Um, if we look at the the like broader context of Paul, even going outside of First Corinthians, it if we took this at its most severe interpretation. Um, Paul would seem to be con contradicting himself because there are other women that he interacts with that he calls prophetesses that he commends for their their speaking in in church communities that he commends for their work of evangelism um, that he commends for their teaching um, and like if each of these is a like overarching prescription to the entire church he's being quite confusing at the very at the very least and like if we take the most severe uh understanding that we could out of this even those who take like a pretty severe interpretation of this into a modern church context would probably be breaking the the most severe way we could look at this because wander into any like very 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 um uh how do i choose my words very carefully here uh which point have you ever done that <clears throat> if you wander into a church that is on the very conservative end on this interpretation their women are singing their women are are praying the lord's prayer their women are speaking words of confession their women are confessing the creed like they are speaking in worship um which seems to contradict this and yet we we use this then to browbeat people into submission and and tell them that they don't get a voice in the church which is annoying anyway <clears throat> yeah. no i think so just to follow up on that <clears throat> two things first of all um and this should we should have said this first so um I'll apologize to anyone listening that we should have said this first, that um, we have to acknowledge that this is, you know, three white men talking about the role of women in the church. All right. So <laughs> our read on first Corinthians and, you know, uh, the passage about that. So like, it'd be really interesting to get um, a woman's perspective about how, you know, and multiple women's perspectives on how they read this text. Um, so let's just own that. Uh, the second Part of that is you just you brought up music, and as a church musician, you know, um, especially uh, early in my career, but even to this day, uh, music's always been fascinating to me on this issue because man, we we have tons of um, female cantors and uh, uh, church musicians, full time church musicians who are are women uh, who have a very active vocal leadership role in congregations. Um, which is why I, I started my comment on first on this, these verses from First Corinthians 14, that 
like the church is not doing this. Like we, we do not, you know, um, have women who are silent in our churches. Um, so we apply the meaning of this differently. Um, and yet we, we can't dismiss scripture, right? You can't just cut out the parts you don't like and throw them away. Um, uh, and Paul brings us up again in first Timothy two, right? I mean, so this issue is not just happening in Corinth. It's, it's, it's a persistent issue for the church. What is the role of women? Um, the question we have to, uh, you know, attend to now is how does, what is the parallel between how that was being dealt with in Paul's time and how are we as the church, um, uh, doing that in our time? And I think that one of the best ways we can interpret it is to keep the spirit of first Corinthians 14 in mind that everything is done for the building up of the church. Josh, I think that's the title of our podcast episode today, orderly worship with an asterisk at the end that everything is done for the building up of the church. I don't uh, think titles support the asterisk character, but I'll try my best. Cool. <laughs> um, I, I think this brings us to a good kind of resolution here because both the, the like orderly side of things and the, the um, prescriptions on women speaking in, in the worship context are leaning into this idea of, of orderly worship. Um, and Jim, we failed to mention this to you, but that's kind of par for the course for us as we plan these episodes. Um, we like to end. Are we with, bad at this? No, we're not bad at this. We just like to leave people with some surprises. Um, we like to end the episode by each picking kind of one takeaway that we want our, our listeners to bring into their context, bring into their churches um, and bring into their, in this case, worship. Um, so if you had one thought that you really hope people take away from this today, um, what would that be? And if you want one of us to go first, we're more than willing. No, I'm good. Um, and if you don't mind, uh, since there's no rules here anyway. Um, <laughs> he, gets me, he gets it. Let me just say that. Um, so my one thing would be that everything is done for the building up of the church. And um, as we look at applying that in our context, you know, uh, a lot of us as the church argue about what songs we should sing or not sing, um, what instruments should lead or shouldn't lead, um, what attire should the pastor wear or not wear, um, what media are we using to um, navigate the divine service, whether hymnal, bulletin, screens, whatever, you know, uh, what are the rites and ceremonies that we're using to do word and sacrament ministry? None of us are fighting about word and sacrament ministry. I mean, like, we're all doing that. Um, uh, it's just how, and the, the, I think the bridge for all of this is this idea in first Corinthians 14, that all of it is done for the building up of the church. Cause everybody has a hymn. Everybody has an interpretation. Everybody has a word from God. Some preachers preach long, some preach short, some preach well, some do not, you know, like all of it, all of the stuff that we've circled around in this, uh, episode everything done for the building of the church. And if we could have conversations as the body of Christ on that, both in our local congregations and throughout our denomination, I think we'd be a lot more successful um, framing everything in the positive for the building up of the church. Josh, you want to go next? 
sure. Um, my my I guess my one takeaway is uh, there's never an excuse to make worship all about you. It's like Jim said, it's for the building up of the church. So the second you're going into worship thinking, how can I stand out today? You need to calm down and and think about what you're doing and why you're doing it. So, Ben? All right. So my takeaway, uh, if you want an example of what it looks like to do this all poorly, go to YouTube, Google or uh, search on YouTube, uh, looking for a city, bad singer, <laughs> watch the video. Just it, it's so it's beautifully painful. And if you are a student of Dr. Marriott's at Concordia University, Texas, play this on loop in your classes. Um, <laughs> and that's how Dr. Marriott's whole class failed the semester. They're Jim all going to blame you. All going to blame you. And he'll deserve every My kids still listen to Listen to a City or Looking for a City on our road trips. And, uh, <laughs> uh, you will all hate Ben even more for listening to his advice. No, I'm just going to find a new co-host at this point. <laughs> anyway, um, some, did some you waste your to... takeaway on that? Yes, I did. Um, some, some thoughts to pray on today. Um, pray that you would consider what it looks like to, to worship in an orderly sense in your congregation. Uh, pray for your pastors and other church leaders as they consider what that looks like. Uh, pray for our church body, the LCMS, as we um, have discussions about what that looks like, uh, especially at our, at our convention upcoming this summer. Um, and beyond that, like like the podcast on whatever platform you use, subscribe, leave a comment if you like. Um, Jim, do you have anything that you want to plug today? Oh, no, I'm just very thankful for y'all and for um, the way that uh, former students are doing great things in the world. Uh, y'all are uh, dear brothers in Christ, and I'm thankful for your congregations. Uh, uh, if So I will plug um for your congregations who are listening to this take care of your pastor um and keep encouraging them uh build them up uh being a pastor is a hard job and you got two good ones uh in ben and josh so uh, uh take care of them uh speak well of them and uh, lift them up and for the last part and probably josh's favorite part uh the guilt trippy part of this if you have somebody that you know that's complaining about the way that their pastor leads worship uh, send them this podcast, have them listen to it all the way through. That's a good um, one. <laughs> thanks, Josh. I couldn't think of a, a reason to send this to someone. That's a good one. Or if, you're if you're just, if you're just interested in, in the, like the reasons we do the things we do for worship, um, or know somebody, send them this podcast, have them give it a listen. Um, we'd love your feedback, your comments, your thoughts on it too. Uh, you can reach out to us directly if you know how, or we have a Facebook page that we check occasionally. Um, I think that's everything for today. I think you're right. Brothers and sisters, go in peace. Serve the Lord. Thanks, Thanks be to God.